Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint seeking to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that you will allow me to join in your gospel dialogue. With that introduction, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 23, following along with All Flesh is in Mine Hand, Doctrine and Covenants, section 60 to 62. And this being Memorial Day, I want to wish you all a happy Memorial Day. I hope you had a great weekend, hope you had a great week. Lex and I got to go down and spend time with her family. Her youngest brother, Quaden, uh, received his mission call, and he's going to the Washington Everett Mission. And I'm super proud of him and his decision. It's a pretty cool tender mercy for him. His friend opened his call earlier in the week and got called to the Tacoma, Washington mission, which those two missions border. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, pretty pretty cool experience for them. And I plan on having Quaden as a special guest before he takes off to serve the Lord for two years. Hopefully we get to hear about that decision, that faith-filled decision to go and serve a mission. And uh, we also got to... Spend time with the family herding cows. Always a great experience. And then today, Lex and I went and uh, with our kids and visited some of our the, the grave sites for some of our uh, great-grandparents and got to reflect on their life, our heritage, and just be, be extremely grateful for the, the families that we come from because, uh, I mean, I feel like everything I have is because of family and because of the sacrifices that have been made on my behalf before I was even born. And I've kind of gotten to to step into those blessings because of righteous decisions that were made before me and also laid a groundwork for my own righteous decisions. And so, uh, you, you know, that going around and visiting the gravesides and reflecting on our, our ancestors has been something Lex has wanted to do since we got married and we finally made it happen five years later. So it was a great day. Excellent opportunity to reflect on what we have, the blessings we have, also the freedoms that we enjoy because of those uh, women and men who have sacrificed their lives for the cause of freedom and how we can, in our way, in our own ways, be prepared to sacrifice for that same cause. So let's get into the lesson. Uh, before the introduction, I really like that uh, in that orange text. I think it's orange. I don't know what color this is. But it says, President Ezra Taft Benson taught that when we study the scriptures, testimonies will increase. Commitment will be strengthened. Families will be fortified. Personal revelation will flow. My first question is, are we studying the scriptures? And this is something I'm asking myself personally as well. Am I studying the scriptures? Obviously, I'm studying because we're doing this podcast and reflecting on what I'm learning from Come Follow Me. But, but even deeper than that, like, it's one thing to read the scriptures. It's another thing to study them. And so I took a moment to really reflect, am I studying the scriptures? I think there's room for me to repent, for me to study better, make my study each morning more meaningful, for sure. The second question is, are we seeing these promised blessings here, right? And I highlighted all of them because I, I think they're fantastic. Testimonies increasing, commitment being strengthened, families being fortified and personal revelation flowing. If we're not seeing them, I would uh, take the moment to reflect on where we can strengthen our studies because we are promised these blessings from studying the scriptures. And those are tremendous blessings. I know, especially for me, 
I really want that blessing of having my family fortified. And I want personal revelation to flow. When I think of flow, I think of like, you know, a river that's that's flowing and not like a dammed lake where it's just stagnant water until I ruin it because of my boat. In the introduction, in June 1831, Joseph Smith held a conference with the elders of the church in Kirtland. There, the Lord organized some of the elders into companionships and sent them to Jackson County, Missouri with this charge. Preach by the way. Many of the elders did so diligently, but others did not. So, when the time came to travel back to Kirtland, the Lord said, With some elders I am not well pleased, for they will not open their mouths, but they hide their talent which I have given unto them because of the fear of man. I'm going to stop there and say, I believe we've all had this experience. I know I personally have experienced fearing men, women, people, and uh, wanting just to close my mouth and not bear testimony. So I think this is something we can all relate to if we reflect on it. Many of us can feel sympathy for these elders. We may also feel hesitant to open our mouth and share the gospel, as I just said. Maybe we too are impeded by the fear of man. Maybe we doubt our worthiness or abilities. Whatever our reasons, the Lord knoweth the weakness of man and how to succor us. Scattered throughout these revelations to early missionaries are reassurances that can help us overcome our fears about sharing the gospel or other fears we might be facing. I, the Lord, rule in the heavens above. I am able to make you holy. All flesh is in mine hand. And be of good cheer, little children, for I am in your midst. I love that last line. I love thinking about that, reflecting on that, that Christ is in our midst. And I also love this line. I am able to make you holy. Yes, even you. Uh, I think of all the doubts that we have, uh, speaking collectively, all the fears that we have, all the things of, you know, there's so many, I, I feel like you can just look around and see people just doubting themselves or, or thinking, am I good enough? And the Lord says, yes, yes, you are good enough. And he is all powerful to make you, even you, holy. And so, so remove those doubts, recognize, like, don't impede the Lord's ability to bless you because you don't want him to bless you. And by us doubting him, that is us essentially impeding the process of being able to be made holy. Now, before I get into the, the lesson, kind of what I took out of it, there is one scripture that didn't really fit in with the lesson. I tried to see if I could, it just doesn't. So I'm going to read this first because this stuck out to me and I think it's important. It's in section 61, verse 3. But verily I say unto you, that it is not needful for this whole company of mine elders to be moving swiftly upon the waters, whilst the inhabitants on either side are perishing in unbelief. Um, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, because the Lord keeps saying it, therefore it's got to be important. The work of salvation, the work of people, is a slow work. It is a thoughtful work. It is not like our daily duties. It's not like the daily tasks that we can check off on our list and, and go about our day. And, and, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a checklist guy. I like to be able to, to get stuff done. I'm a completionist. So I'm, I'm antsy until something's completely done. And I hate having something because I don't know if it's because of my ADD or, or what, I don't know, but I am like, nothing drives me more nuts than something that I can't just get done right now. And it's like this future date that there's nothing I can do in the meantime. I just have to remember <laughs> on said calendar date, that's when I can take care of it. Like that drives me nuts because I just want to knock stuff off my list right away. And so this is good for me to remember that the work of salvation, the work of people is a slow work, both for us personally, that we need to be patient with ourselves. We, 
we can't just be perfect in a day. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen. In fact, it takes a far more than just our mortal lives to become perfect. It takes an eternity. And, and be patient in that process. Be patient with ourselves and forgiving. But then also as we're, as we're working in our families and in our friendships and at work and, and all the relationships you could possibly have, to be patient above all else, recognizing that it is a slow work. I've seen this time and time again, not only with myself, but with like my family, right? Lex and I get frustrated all the time in our marriage. Why won't you do this? Or why don't you do this? Why, why can't you change? Why? And we'll, we'll start picking at each other and whatever. And then we stop and slow down and realize we're on the same team and we're, we both love each other. We don't want to purposely be a pain in the rear for the other person, even though sometimes our personalities clash in, in a way that it feels like that. As we recognize we're on the same team and working together and slowing things down. And then as we also reflect and look back, we see just how far we've come just in the short five years that we've been married. I've seen huge improvements in myself, seen huge improvements in Lex. Uh, Our relationship has grown and developed in such a way that the things that maybe we, that grinded on each other when we first got married no longer are. And we've found new things to grind on each other, you know, as as we've had kids, obviously that creates its own set of new things to be frustrated about and the way to raise kids and stuff. And it's a glorious process. It truly is a wonderful process. And not just in marriage. It's like I think of all the friendships. The My most deeply rooted friendships did not come easy and haven't come easy. There's been plenty of fights, plenty of arguments, times where I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think we want to be friends anymore. And then we fought past it because we loved each other enough to do so. Those relationships are so sacred to me. And I, and I still know there's going to be tough days ahead. But, you know, joy in the journey isn't because there's not going to be tough days ahead. or and, and that's kind of an understatement, right? There's going to be terrible hurricane storms ahead. But knowing that you can do it together and that there's a true strength that comes from fighting together is a beautiful thing. So I just want to, I wanted to point this out. That as we think about and talk about the work of salvation, a.k.a. the work of people, uh, the work of relationships, as we come to understand, we need to stop and recognize that it is not a fast process. Quit acting like it is or expecting it to be because you're only going to be frustrated with those expectations. And I think that's an important baseline to have. All right, now let's get into this lesson. So the Lord is pleased when I open my mouth to share the gospel. We've all had experiences when we could have shared the gospel with someone, but for some reason we didn't. I've had so many of these experiences. Uh, Kid you not, just like three or four weeks ago, I had an experience where I should have shared the gospel with someone and I didn't. And it wasn't because of fear. It was just, you know, I got caught up in my own head of like, no, this isn't the right time. It's not the right time. And I, I, it had to be the right time because I am regretting four weeks later that I didn't just share the gospel right then and there. And, and this is another good uh, pattern to set, which is if there's even a question of should you or shouldn't you, just do it. Because the regret would be far more better, in my opinion, that you share the gospel and create a really uncomfortable experience than to not share the gospel and kick yourself that you didn't. I would much rather feel like an idiot and be embarrassed for sharing the gospel at the wrong time than the opposite of not sharing the gospel when I was supposed to. And I have had both, which is how I know. I definitely would prefer one over the other. 
As you read the Lord's words to early missionaries who failed to open their mouths, think about your own opportunities to share the gospel. How is your testimony of the gospel like a talent or treasure from God? In what ways do we sometimes hide our talent? The Lord corrected these early missionaries, but he also tried to inspire them. And I love this pattern. This is how we should be uh, as parents, as friends, as siblings, in any relationship we have. This is how we should pattern our own um, corrections, right? Is that when we correct, we should also inspire. It should never just be like, you're trash at this and you should stop. That's that is not that's never been how the Lord has done anything. And it's not how we should do it either. And too often in families, we destroy each other. We tell children, we tell siblings, like, you're garbage at this. And then we just leave it there. <laughs> and that's a horrible way uh, to really not only, like, build relationships, but to inspire. We need to inspire by saying, like, you can point out this behavior, this pattern, this is not okay. But I know you, and I know your heart, and I know you want, I know you want to be a great person. And you are a great person. And, and these are changes that if you would make, I really believe, could get you to that point where, you know, you truly stand above the, the rest, so to speak. Uh, I, I don't know what the speech looks like in the moment, but I do know the pattern should be that in any correction we do, we should also seek to inspire at the same time. Um, that's the pattern the Lord sets for us, and that's what we should try to follow. What encouraging messages from him do you find in section 60 and 62? So... Uh, two scriptures that stuck out. One was uh, both actually in section 60. So one is verse two. But with some I am not well pleased, for they will not open their mouths, but they hide the talent which I have given unto them because of the fear of man. Woe unto such, for mine anger is kindled against them. Okay, so don't hide your talent. The Lord, is he says it right here. It's Take this as if it's saying it to you. Do not hide your talent, especially because of the fear of man. We all have fears. I fear men too. Um... I don't, I can't think of a single person that I have met who's been like, I have zero fears of anything. Uh, there may be someone out there. I haven't met them yet. So I think we all have fears. I've sat up. I I mean, I always think of when I'm like giving a talk in church, right? I actually like public speaking. I like speaking in church and even liking it. When I'm up there about to give my talk, I start getting nervous. I start getting jittery and I'm like, oh, <laughs> Maybe I can't do this. I always feel that way. And then I do it and I just move forward with faith. Same thing with like teaching Sunday school. I have to teach Sunday school this upcoming Sunday. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. What if I sound like a complete moron? Even though I, you know, have no problem apparently doing this podcast and potentially sounding like a complete moron. It's just something there's, there's those fears. And our fear of each other, of being judged, can never supersede the fear we have of God. We need to make sure that our fear of God is always number one. If we can do that, then everything else will fall into place. And mo I, I have found the best way to do it is always just to remember him. If we can constantly be remembering him, it makes it so much easier to not start fearing the waves and other people. And then in verse 10, And let my servant Edward Partridge impart of the money which I have given him, a portion unto mine elders who are commanded to return. Ultimately, God has given us everything. And I think we, we need to remember this. Uh, especially if you struggle, if you have personal struggles with like tithing or charity or, or giving or anything like that, giving of your time, any of that type of work, God has given us everything. If we can remember this, it really does make everything else easier. It makes tithing easier. It's going to make living the law of consecration easier, which we should be doing. 
if we can remember that every blessing we had ultimately has come from God, then that, that like I said, everything just falls into place. And the question I had for myself from, from here, this lesson about Edward Partridge being commanded to give the money that's been given to him, could we impart of our own substance if God asked us to? If you were asked right now to uh, impart of your substance for, you know, the missionary fund or whatever, a substantial amount of your substance, could you do that? I think, I think everyone in general would probably have a hesitation. I know we shouldn't, but I, I feel like a majority of saints would have a hesitation. I would like to believe that the majority of saints would also fight through that hesitation and say, absolutely. Uh, if, if through that little question, there was a moment of hesitation for you, then I think it's like, for as, as for me, when I asked myself that question, it was a good moment to recognize and reflect and say, I'm not perfect yet. And so I need to continue working on this to remember and keep in mind, everything I have has been a blessing from God and it is his to do with ultimately. Um, he's blessed me so abundantly. I should never hesitate to bless his children when he asks me to. And then in the second section, are all waters cursed by the Lord? I don't have a ton on this, but I do definitely want to talk about this for a second. Uh, the Lord's warning in Doctrine and Covenants section 61 was in part a warning about the dangers his people could face while traveling in Zion on the Missouri River, which was known at the time to, for being dangerous. This warning should not be interpreted to mean that we should avoid traveling by waters. I want to repeat that. This warning should not be interpreted to mean that we should avoid traveling by water. The Lord has all power, including power over the waters. Uh, so first let me read the scripture. It's in section six, 61, verse 16. And it shall be said in the days to come that none is able to go up to the land of Zion upon the waters, but he that is upright in heart. Uh, I think that regardless of whether it's travel by water, by road, by air, whatever it is, the lesson here is always be upright in heart and we have nothing to fear, regardless of the consequences of our actions. If we are upright and if we are truly standing pure before the Lord, then whether we live or die, it shouldn't matter. All that matters is that we were doing the right thing at the right time and the details, you know, God will take care of them. The other thing from, from this, on my mission, this was a thing I'm sure it was across the board in a lot of missions, that uh, in the White Handbook, missionaries aren't supposed to swim in, uh, you know, pools, oceans, rivers, whatever. And it was always like, I remember that this scripture being used about the, the waters and how Satan rides on the waters and stuff like that, that it was like, that's why missionaries can't swim in waters. And I was like, no, that's not why. <laughs> Cause that would make zero sense. If then after you come home from your mission, all of a sudden the waters are safe, like it makes zero sense. Uh, just in general, as most rules are made, it came because someone did something that either got them physically harmed or killed or whatever and then a policy had to be created that is typically how policies especially like those mission policies those are created if it was a doctrinal principle if it was a like founded in something then you'd be able to find it across the board not just on missions so if you have missionaries who believe this help correct this incorrect thinking and let them know that no god is in all power and no waters are not cursed uh you know just for missionaries or whatever in the next section, the Lord is all-powerful and can preserve me, can preserve me. On the way back to Kirtland, 
Joseph Smith and other church leaders had a life-threatening experience on the Missouri River. The Lord used this opportunity to warn and instruct his servants. What do you find in Doctrine and Covenants section, section 61 that encourages you to put trust in the Lord as you face your own challenges? For example, why is it important to note that God is from everlasting to everlasting? There are similar insights in section 62. What does the Lord teach you about himself and his power in this revelation? Uh, so, scriptures first. And then I want to talk about just a principle I learned from this. Okay, so first in section 61, verse 39. Pray always that you enter not into temptation, that you may abide the day of his coming, whether in life or in death, even so, amen. I love this. Pray always. It's a great principle to live by. If we pray always, and, and also pray that we don't enter into temptation, will be protected. And then in section 62, verse 1, Behold and hearken, O ye elders of my church, saith the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ, your advocate, who knoweth the weakness of man and how to succor them who are tempted. God knows how to succor us. He knows how to take care of us. He knows what we've gone through. And I know right now you are going through a trial. You're going through a trial that uh, maybe you feel like you've got it under control. You haven't managed. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like no one else understands. How could they? No one else has gone through this. It is something personal. It is something dear to your heart. It is something horribly hard and difficult. And you may not know if you're going to make it through it. This might be the brink for you. This might be, uh, you know, if you don't make it through this, then, then you're done. You're done with your testimony. You're done with the church. Everything you need to be true, it must be a lie. If you are going through, regardless of what trial, whether it's manageable ones or, like I said, like you feel like you're on the brink, that your testimony is just hanging by a thread and you just need something. I want to promise you, because I, I know, I know this with every fiber of my soul. Jesus Christ knows exactly what you're going through. He knows because he was there first. He was there far before you ever were. He knows because it, when he suffered the atonement, it was the most personal experience that we've ever had. I believe we were there, even if we can't remember right now, just because of the way that Christ has that He has ministered to each of us. There's no way it wasn't a personal experience, and I know that in all the things I've ever gone through in my life, and some I have felt like no one else could understand, but the one person I can't say that about is Jesus Christ. And I know in life it can feel like we go through these hard things. It's like, why? Why are we going through this? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. I'm a good person, and I do good things. I shouldn't have to suffer this way. Through my experience, when I have felt like that, and I have felt like that, every time I have come out of those experiences, and I have always come out of those experiences, I am always significantly stronger. I am more faith-filled. I am more humble. And I'm more appreciative of everything God has given me. I know, because I'm such a deeply imperfect person, I will go through many more of those experiences. Like, I know it. Right now, my life is pretty good. Right now, I, there's not really anything I could point to that makes me feel like I'm going through a really deep trial. I have. I've, I've talked about going through them. Um... I've talked over and over again, actually, about going through a particular one most recently. Uh, 
and what that experience was like and how even though to everyone else it probably was something dumb to me it was deeply deeply painful and horrible it was an awful experience i hated it and yet i have so much more wisdom now and so much more appreciation that he he led me through it not that he put me through it he led me through that experience so if you are going some through something and i'm sure you are because 9 times out of 10 we are going through something horrible that is mortality that is the moral experience if it wasn't that way we would we wouldn't be learning anything if you are going something first i hope you know and if you don't know i hope you're trying to know that jesus christ is with you he does understand what you're going through and he cares deeply deeply that you are going through it he does not find joy in making you suffer but because he is a loving savior he's a loving redeemer because heavenly father is a loving heavenly father and both are perfect they recognize that the only way you will ever be able to truly say that you've endured to the end is indeed to go through these trials that you're going through. Also, I promise you, I promise you because I have experienced this myself, any trial you're going through right now will bless someone else's life down the road. Always, always. And it could be years and years and years. There are still trials that I've gone through that I feel like I haven't been able to to use to help other people, but I am so certain because of the other trials I've gone through, which have helped other people, I have no doubt in my mind that one day what I have gone through, as long as I continue faithful, will help someone else. The other this Now, this other concept that I want to discuss that came from this, uh, that I feel like God teaches us, is that we make our own stories. Okay, You right now are making your own story, the story of your life. No one else gets to make the story, only you do. Yes, things are going to happen in your story that you probably wouldn't have written in yourself if you had the opportunity to. But you are making the story of how you respond to it. There's this whole poem I remember reading when I was in middle school called Attitude about how attitude is 90% or life is 10% of what happens and 90% how we respond to it. And it's a really cool poem. And it's, it's a true poem, I think. But think of, I think of all the books I've read. Think of all the fiction and, and fantasy books or, or movies you've watched or whatever. Whatever form of entertainment. If there, like, in every single one of these stories, there is a, a situation where the hero, the, the protagonist of the story, isn't sure how it's going to turn out. There's this, you know, this moment where things are hanging off on, on, on the edge and and it's like that, <gasps> what's going to happen, right? If there were never those moments in our life, ever, how boring would that story be? Or how boring would that movie be? We wouldn't go to, we wouldn't read books and we wouldn't go to movies if it was just like, and everything was completely normal and nothing bad ever happened. It'd, be, it'd just be incredibly boring. And the same is true with our lives. I don't want to look back on my life and say like, wow, I had the easiest sail through like yeah it was super easy to to be baptized to receive the holy ghost uh to go on a mission my mission was incredibly easy no nothing bad ever happened it was just fantastic and then i came home and and i got married and it was first time like first date it was so easy like i don't want to live a life like that also i haven't lived a life like that 
I feel like <laughs> there are tons of challenging things along the way. And it's fun. It's fun to write my own story. It's fun to to recognize my weaknesses and where I don't want this to be an ongoing part of my story. I am seeking the help of the Lord to be able to rewrite certain aspects of my story that it's not like Dalton was forever impatient and no one liked being around Dalton when he was he hadn't eaten for seven hours because he was just grumpy. I would prefer that not to be my story. So always keep in mind, I feel like this is an important concept to remember always. You get to choose how your story goes. And if you feel like you don't get to choose how your story goes, then you need to pray to get the pen back from whoever you've given it to. Because I'm telling you, you get to make your own story. You don't always get to choose the, you know, the trials and adversities that come into your life, but you definitely get to choose how you're going to respond to it, how you're going to overcome it. And I think the, the greatest stories we're going to care about reading or hearing about will be the ones who went through a tremendous amount of adversity and continued to rise above it, to, con- to c- who continued to come out on top. It's why I love reasoning about Joseph Smith. I don't know anyone other than Jesus Christ himself who went through more than Joseph Smith did and yet still remained positive. That's something that is always written about him from others was that he was always positive, he was always smiling, he was always serving others. Regardless of all the critics and and all the the terrible stories written about Joseph Smith, no one has been able to say that he wasn't a happy, jolly person. How could someone who's gone through so much in their life, who went through so many trials and adversities and was slain for the cause of Christ, how could they remain jolly and happy? Because he chose. Because he chose how his story was going to go. And I want the same thing for me. In the next section, the Lord wants me to make some good decisions that seemeth me good. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, let's go to a scripture in uh, verse 7, section 62. I, the Lord, am willing, if any among you desire to ride upon horses or upon mules or in chariots, he shall receive this blessing if he receive it from the hand of the Lord with a thankful heart and all things. And that's kind of a weird scripture, I guess, that I pulled out. But isn't it interesting that the Lord is like, anyone who wants to ride upon, I don't know, horses, maybe mules, a chariot even, like whatever, just pray and ask me. Uh, our personality should come into our prayers. And... That's how we develop this relationship with God. You should not just do this cookie-cutter prayer or have these cookie-cutter desires. Make them personal. God wants to have a personal, deep relationship with you. That's what he That's what He wants. We all have different personalities. We all have different wants. You're going to pray for stuff that I would never pray for and vice versa. And that is perfectly right and in alignment with the gospel. Now, there are definitely things on the list of things that we can't pray for or shouldn't pray for. But we will learn those as we continue to develop our relationship with God. So, if you believe that life was meant to just be lived in accordance with what God tells you, then uh, I would say that you're not living your fullest life. This life was meant to make mistakes. As my mom always says, not mistakes of integrity. Don't make mistakes of integrity, but be willing to make mistakes. That is how we learn. That is how we learn fastest. And it is how we come uh, in alignment with God, is through that experience. It is impossible to go through this life without making a single mistake. And honestly, it's, pro- it's pretty much impossible to go throughout a single day or let alone an hour without making a single mistake. But do not get caught up in feeling like somehow that makes you that you'll, you know, you're cut off, you're damned, and that's it. Like, take, take, it, take it easy. Take it easy. And recognize that that is the process. And this last part of that section is, why is it good for us to make some decisions without specific direction from God? 
Because we learn. Because we learn. And that's a great reason. In the family scripture study, I love Doctrine and Covenants section 62 to 3, where it says, Why were some early missionaries hesitant to share the gospel? Why do we sometimes hesitate? Consider role-playing how family members could share the gospel in a variety of settings. This is something that I actually want to do with Lex um, because I feel like you know opportunities arise all the time and I want to be ready and role-plays really do help. If you've ever done them, they can feel silly, but they are inspired, especially if you make it a prayerful role-play. Uh, they are inspired. I've had, I remember on the mission, uh, like of course on the mission, but several times where we would role-play something in district meeting and then... <laughs> Like that week, the very role play would go down, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm prepared. So I, this is an activity I really want to do. The other thing is, uh, this is this is from an experience I had. So maybe you could make this into your, you know, if you want to take this and, and use this in your family this week. Here's a specific role play that actually happened to me. This is a true story. I was sitting at work. Uh, this was months ago. So not, not at 1-800-CONTACTS, it was at UVU. I was sitting at work. And uh, a friend and coworker came in my door. I was working on something, kind of caught me off guard. They grabbed a chair, sat down right in front of me and said, do you believe the Book of Mormon is true? Now, I knew the person who was asking was not a member, but was married to a member. And so I didn't know how much necessarily they knew, but uh, asked me point blank. Now, it took me off guard, number one, because it's in the work setting. This wasn't BYU, obviously, so kind of out of the blue, and it's at UVU, which... Uh, a state school, so not something I was prepared. Also, I, in my head was running through. I was like, am I allowed <laughs> to, to share my testimony right now? The answer is always yes. If someone asks, then yes, you are you are allowed to. But they said, why do you believe in the Book of Mormon? I looked. I gave a blank look for a couple seconds, and then all of a sudden I was like, are you, are you being serious right now? And they were like, yep, why? Why do you believe in the Book of Mormon? And I just responded with, because I've read it and I've prayed about it and I've, I've, you know, thought over the words and the the stories that come from it. And I, I know they're true. And I felt super dumb in that response. I felt like that was straight out of uh, Moroni section 10 or chapter 10, excuse me. And, and I felt dumb saying it because I'm a, I'm a really logical person. I like, you know, a plus B to equal C. I like to be able to follow that path. And I like to help others follow that path. And sometimes those faith-based answers, I struggled with this on the mission too. Um, the, the, there's not a right answer in your testimony. And sometimes I want there to be. I want there that if someone's like, bear your testimony to me about this, that I'm able to say something that's like, ah, yes, well thought out, sir. When really, I know that this is true because I've had multiple interactions with the Holy Ghost. I can't explain them to you. I can't explain what was happening in my heart or like why it felt like my skin lit up on fire. I can't explain that. Yeah, I could use the words and say, you know, the scriptures have given a good pattern of what others have gone through and they've explained it and I could use those same words, but I can't share that in a logical way. How am I supposed to tell you that the first time I read the Book of Mormon, I just knew in my head that it was true. How do I explain that? That doesn't make sense. How do you just know something's true? But that's what happened to me. When I read the Book of Mormon for the very first time, not a single thing crossed my mind as being false. I just was like, yeah, this is 100% true. And and that's been essentially the start of my entire testimony was off that experience. I can't explain that one of the most impactful experiences of my entire life was because I had put money on top of a unstable 
stack of books to be able to pay for a class in high school. And I had forgot that money, but I had prayed to the Lord to help me. And that morning as I left for school, the, the stack of books fell. And because of the loud noise it made, I ran back into my room to find the $10 perfectly on top. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad I remember this. And that was the moment I knew God knew who I was. I knew he knew who Dolan Anderson was and where he was at and where he could find me. I can, I can share that story, obviously. But it doesn't, to me, doesn't super make sense for you to hear that and say, yeah, that makes sense. I want to get baptized. Right? And that is because, this is, this is the, such a key concept, logic is not what converts us. Logic is not the power that converts us. Or great orators. It's not how good I can speak or share that story that matters. Now, those things help the listener. I think those things are important. There's a reason we should be practicing sharing our testimony. There's a reason we should be practicing sharing uh, the gospel and, and teaching and, and all those things. Ultimately, it is the Holy Ghost who converts us. If we forget that, we do not get to be a part of that conversion. Now, yes, we could, we could share our testimony and stuff and think that we did it, but we will never truly enjoy recognizing that the, that the Holy Ghost took our words and planted it into the heart of the listener, and that it had a change, the same type of change that had on us when we went through that experience. When you opened the Book of Mormon for the first time, when you prayed about the Book of Mormon for the first time, that experience, experience that millions of people around the world have had, it was a personal experience. You can share that, and it could mean nothing. Or you could share it, and it could mean everything. But the difference is always going to be the Holy Ghost. Was the Holy Ghost able to take your words and then plant them into the heart of the listener? And was the listener willing to be changed by that? That is conversion. I mean, that's all. I'm actually going to conclude like that. I, that's all I got to say. Just remember, in the Lord's work, we are... Disciples going about, doing our best, but ultimately, without the Holy Ghost, we can do nothing. That's my testimony. Thank you for inviting me to your family room discussion. What ideas, questions, or insights did you have from Doctrine and Covenants section 60 to 62? One last thing I do want to say. This week, uh, many of you let me know that, that you've you know, been listening to my podcast and, uh, you know, that you have a, some of you share that you have specific times or specific places where you listen to the podcast. And I just want you to know, I appreciate it so much. Um, I love getting to study the gospel with you. I love getting to hear your insights. And I love just knowing that we collectively are doing our part to, to strengthen our testimonies, to strengthen our families to strengthen our communities, and knowing that we're not alone in this great work means the world to me. So until we meet again, have a blessed week.